You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of SD Times. And now, here's Jenna Sargent, online and social media editor at SD Times. In today's episode, I'm talking with Don Jones, head of developer skills at Pluralsight, about the ways developers can learn new skills. I'll let Don introduce himself, and then we'll get right into our conversation. Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Don Jones. I am the head of developer skills for Pluralsight. Uh, we do, obviously, a ton of technology skill training. And my job there is to kind of keep an eye on the market, keep an eye on what uh, people are, are really getting into in terms of de- developer technology to make sure that we're covering all those topics. So it's it's definitely a lot of keeping in touch with the audience and keeping your ear to the ground. So I would imagine that since you are tuned into this area, you've kind of seen some of the trends over the past year. Um, I would imagine that a lot of people have taken the opportunity um, in the past year to learn new development skills on their own. Is that something you've seen to be the case? Yeah, certainly has, Uh, especially from folks who maybe haven't, haven't traditionally been a professional developer. I mean, obviously, in the past year or so, if you already had a job as a developer, you you probably kept it. Uh, not we didn't see a lot of outplacement with developers, but there was definitely a drive toward more people getting into the industry. So there's there's been a lot of independent skill up along those lines, and then I think what you see from the professional developer community is folks really really keeping up. Uh, there's just there's so much churn, and there's there's new versions all the time, and security is a concern. So every time there's a new attack or anything else, you really have to get in to analyze that and decide if your code is vulnerable. So you kind of see that that more detailed, higher level of, of skill up uh, through the professional community. Are there certain areas that developers have gravitated towards recently? And does that differ from areas that new people have looked at? Yeah, I think so. You know, in the professional space, it kind of depends on what type of company you want to work for. Um, if you want to work for a big legacy company and kind of get all the stability and the team and the resourcing that goes with that, you know, C Sharp, Java, I mean, heck, even COBOL, right, to a point, um, those remain really popular. And so we've we've had big releases in both of those technologies in the past year. So there's a lot of just coming up to speed on the the new versions of the frameworks and the languages and things like that. The the If you're the type of person who wants to work more for the, the leaner startup, uh, then basically anything involving JavaScript is huge, right? It's Node, it's Angular, it's React, it's it's all the things that go into that web development stack, uh, particularly on the front end, although certainly on the back end as well. In the, what I would say, the broader independent community, maybe folks who don't have a full-time job, um, a lot of mobile. So just a lot of Swift, uh, a lot of of the Java you know, variants that run in the Android world, uh, a lot of Kotlin, a lot of of you know the other kind of cross platformy type things, um, so mobile is is definitely really high on on everyone's radar in the independent world. So obviously the pandemic has forced people to only be able to access online forms of learning. Yeah. So what sort of options are available to people now? Yeah, the landscape has definitely changed. So we've we've seen traditional ILT providers switch over to VILT. So there's there's been a lot of them that have still been doing their traditional classroom training, um, but they've they've used platforms like Adobe Connect or whatever else to to kind of extend that out into the world. So there's still that kind of synchronous learning. A lot of conferences, and I I can't even tell you how much I miss tech conferences, and and can't wait till they come back. But a lot of them continued. Uh, especially your big vendor ones, obviously, you know, Microsoft and Google and AWS went went all online. 
and your smaller regional ones, the ones that tended to be more community driven. Uh, we've seen them go almost completely virtual. Uh, in fact, Pluralsight has worked with some of them to bring their sessions onto the platform so that they would have a place for that those recordings to live for a long time. Uh, and so that's been great. I I think certainly self-paced video learning in particular, um, self-paced learning that can include an element of hands-on practice uh, where maybe there's a hosted environment, especially for more complex environments where, where maybe a beginner just really struggles to set up the environment or maybe doesn't have all the resources. So the self-paced has definitely uh, taken off. It's definitely expanded. The fact that it's asynchronous, you can you can do it whenever you want to. You can stop in the middle, go have dinner, come back to it. Um, that's become a huge deal for people. And I think what's really changed with the hands-on space uh, is that it's becoming sort of table stakes. Table stakes. You really sort of expect your your learning experience to have some element of being able to practice what you're doing. Yeah, I was kind of curious about that because when you hear the term online learning, you kind of picture like just like a video course. But I would imagine that a lot of the the ones that are focused on developers and learning new tech skills are very hands on and have interactive things to them that people can kind of get their hands on. Yeah, that's the idea. So, you know, cognitively, we, we know that human beings learn best by doing. Uh, you really kind of want a learning journey where you pick up some concepts and, and those concepts are immediately applied in some sort of demonstration. Like I'm not just telling you a concept for the sake of it. It's here's the problem. Here's the concept behind the solution. Now let me show you the solution and now go practice the solution. So they have become really, really blended. I think another element that has become bigger is the the kind of skill assessment. Because um, a lot of people, you know, speaking for myself, certainly, um, you sit down at, at a learning path of say, 60 hours of video and you're like, oh, I would much rather watch Justice League again than just dive into 60 hours. It seems so insurmountable. And so when there's an element of an assessment that you can take first, just to kind of tell you where you are, maybe in relation to other people in the industry, uh, where do I sit compared to everyone else? Oh, you're a practitioner. Oh, fantastic. That means I can probably skip all this beginner stuff and get to something that's going to be more kind of applicable to me right away. I think I think that's a really powerful way, especially for someone who's learning on their own or for their own motivations. I you know, just being able to get right to the bit that that's going to scratch the itch that really is going to satisfy. Um so I you know, hands-on learning really has or sorry, self-paced learning really has expanded beyond just watching videos. It's it's gotten I think a lot smarter, a lot more multimodal um and and probably hopefully a lot better at generating good learning outcomes, which is is really the goal of it all. So I know that like everyone learns things differently. So maybe someone wouldn't be as into like a self-paced thing where they have to kind of keep track of their own motivation and their own progress. Are there other alternatives where teams can kind of learn as a group? Yeah. So there's a couple things there. Um, there is kind of, this isn't exactly what you said, but I, I know a lot of people will hear it. There is this kind of myth that certain people learn better in different ways. Like, oh, I'm a video learner. Oh, I, pref- I, you know, I read. I learn better by reading. Human brains all learn the same way, and we can all learn from all of those different modalities. We may have preferences. Um, I prefer not to do audio only. Like I, I, it's really tough for me to listen to lengthy podcasts. I'm kind of a news person where I'll listen to the 10 minute version. 
Um, I love to read, though. I really enjoy reading, and so I learn really well that way. That doesn't mean I can't learn through those other mechanisms. And I think something that that a lot of folks really should press themselves on is to 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 find a way to make all these different modalities work because you you do need to learn. And there's a world out there that's providing information. And it, the, the more that you can consume, the more successful you're going to be in the end. Um, that said, I think there are a lot of different ways that people can, can approach using all kinds of different content modalities. Uh, we certainly see people who will sit down as groups and watch a video, for example, and they might pause it and discuss bits of it and then resume. Maybe they've got their laptops open and they're kind of following along with each other and they pause the video. Uh, I live in Las Vegas and I know that there's a, a plural site watch group that meets once a month and they pick a topic ahead of time. And it's maybe, you know, half dozen people or whatever in the room at a time. Uh, and that that kind of gives them that sense of shared accountability. Like they're all there. They're all single focused on that. So it it, it is easier for them to make that time and dedicate that time. Um, I Another kind of alternative that I've seen are virtual study groups where you kind of you do some self-paced learning up front and then the group gets together to ask each other questions and bounce ideas. And again, it creates that sense of accountability. Like you, you have to do it because you're going to have this meeting later on where it depends on it. And I think that really does help drive a lot of people. Um, other folks are good at just having a schedule. Uh, so they'll maybe set a goal of, I'm going to do six hours of learning this week. And they, they kind of have their agenda and that keeps them accountable. You know, they can, they can check that checkbox and say that I did it. Um, and I think you've seen a big, huge uptake in virtual user groups, um, whether that's specifically for learning a new topic or really just for keeping up with the field, which is just as important. Um, I think those user groups have, have in going virtual been able to massively expand the audience that they serve. Um, so it's, it's no longer, I have to find a group that's in my local area. I can find one that's maybe just in a similar time zone and I can log on when they're there. So there's, there's all these different ways that people are, are kind of starting to use the virtual tools that maybe we've had for a long time. Um, and maybe it was just convenient not to use them and they're, they're putting them to good use. Yeah. I am curious if you think that even like as things are starting to open back up, do you think people are still going to gravitate towards these online options, even if the in-person options are starting to come back just because it's like more convenient to just be able to do learning from your home on your computer? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, there's a ton of value in being physically in the room with other people. I, you know, there, we've tons of science behind that going back a couple hundred years. Uh, human beings are social animals. Uh, we know that it's more exhausting to engage with people all day long over a, a camera because your brain's body language sensor is, is working overtime. But that said, uh, convenience trumps a lot of things. You really, you really have a couple types of tech learners. You have the the externally directed tech learner. And this is someone who probably has a job and their company has some sort of project or initiative or effort underway that requires a skill up. And so the company is paying for the training resources. The company is directing the learning. The company is hopefully, you know, making the time for it, like building it into the day not just telling you, you have to learn during lunch or something like that. So those folks kind of have a lot of structure around them. They've got some accountability. There are deadlines, there are expectations, there are outcomes. Those folks are going to probably be able to learn through whatever means the company makes available. Uh, if the company determines that that in-person workshops are the most effective way for them, 
then that's what they'll do. If it's, if it's a virtual workshop, that's what they'll do. If it's self-paced learning, um, like they're going to figure out what works and, and they're going to go for it. You've got a larger body though of self-directed learners, people who aren't necessarily trying to achieve some sort of business outcome. They're learning for their own reasons. Maybe it's curiosity. Maybe they want to get a new job. Maybe they want to, you know, skill up to get a promotion. For them, the convenience really matters because they still have to do their full-time job. They're still doing whatever they do. Learning isn't part of their job at that point. It's something extra they're doing for, for whatever their motivations are. And, and convenience is really it. You know, they may be learning at night, which means all those in-person classes just might not be an option. Um, they might be learning on the train during their commute. Uh, so you know, they kind of have to have whatever works for them. I think you're going to see a lot more of the non-in-person stuff stay around. Uh, I don't think it'll be exclusive. I think people will still get back together. But I think now that we've, you know, we've had this past year, 18 months of of figuring out how to make that work, it just the like you said, the convenience is just going to really, really make it important for people. Is there any advice you'd give to developers that are looking to boost their skills? Yeah. You know, we hear all the time people use the phrase, I'm a lifelong learner. And I love the I love the sentiment behind the phrase, but it's not really actionable. Like I can't really test you on that until you get to the end of your life, at which point it doesn't matter. And so I've been telling people, like, look, if if you're gonna work in the tech industry where literally everything is new <laughs> every every month, it seems, then you need to be a daily learner. And you don't have to learn tech stuff every single day. Uh, you could just go to Wikipedia and hit random article and just learn something, you know, click some links, follow the rabbit hole for a little bit. L- learning is a muscle sort of it, it. Our brains learn how to learn. And when we do it constantly, our brains get very good at it. Uh, that's a survival mechanism, right? And anytime you're doing something constantly, your body and your brain get better at it. It's just like going to the gym. You pick up heavy stuff enough and your body gets better at it. Learning a little thing every single day will prepare you to be an instant learner in the moment of need. So when you need to learn a new technology, your brain's there and it's ready. Uh, I I think another thing that probably more developers, more technologists actually, but developers too, really need to focus on is don't, don't direct your learning toward just what's going to benefit your current job. You've got a broader career and that career is bigger than your job. Your, Your employer owns your job right? They pay for it. They pay you to be there. They should pay for the resources that you need to do your job, whatever tools, whatever learning. And that's great. And and those are important things to focus on. But your career is yours. Your career is what will get you your next job. You are responsible for the care and feeding of that career. Don't let it starve. You know, if if you're working for an organization and like, hey, you know, the only thing I need to learn is is this two versions back of Java because that's all we use at work. Yeah, but you're really pigeonholing yourself there, right? If, if that job ever goes away or becomes unsatisfactory or you just need something better out of your career, you need to make sure that you've been doing all this learning all along to keep up with the industry, to keep up with your profession, to understand what's going on in the larger world so that, that you're ready. And I think that's an area where self-paced learning can be incredibly effective. Uh, you can commit exactly as much time as you want to commit you make all the decisions. It's your career. You decide where to focus your eyeballs. You decide where to spend your time. And, you know, I think just as we budget for the next vacation we're going to take or we, we budget for anything, you need to budget your time. You need to make sure that your time includes 
a budget to take care of your career uh, and that you're learning at least a little bit. You don't need to be an expert at all that the things you don't use for your job, but enough that if the time came where you did need to be an expert, you knew where to go, you'd have the foundation and you'd be able to move quickly. Yeah, definitely. I think that's great advice. Um, I don't want to keep you any longer, but since Pluralsight does provide a lot of these options for learning new skills, can you talk a little bit about those offerings and how people can take advantage of them? Yeah. So uh, for April 2021, we've actually opened up the vast majority of the platform for free. Um, You don't even need to, it's not a trial. You don't need to put a credit card down or anything like that. You can just go sign up at Pluralsight.com. We've got uh, around 7,000 videos Many of those are organized into learning paths that are really designed to help you know what order you're going in. Many of those learning paths have uh, an adaptive skill assessment that we call Skill IQ. It's about 25 questions, should take about you know, 30, 40 minutes in most cases, and it will place you on a spectrum with other people who've taken the test. So you can really see where you fit in the overall community. And I think those kind of put together, those paths plus that assessment is a really great way to figure out where to start your journey. Uh, where to focus your eyeballs. Uh, And then the thing, honestly, that I love, uh, we do a constant series of executive briefings. They're about half an hour. You can actually search the platform for the word executive briefing or the phrase, and and they'll all come up. And it's just a great half hour way to become kind of conversational with something new. Great way to keep your learning muscle working. A great way to just pick up a little bit of foundation about something new. Um, And particularly since it's all free in April, like like dive in every day and, you know, if you can spend half an hour every day, uh, just like think of the change that you can make. Yeah. Well, that is all the time we have for this episode. Thank you so much for talking to me about this. Yes. Thanks for having me.